I just want to try to keep people out of their heads. If any contest is going to rattle you, it'll definitely be the Olympics. And uh, there's no way to prepare anybody for that. And some people can deal and a lot of people can't. Behind every great Olympian is a great coach. Coaches are too often the unsung heroes in our stories. It's their dedication to helping their athletes become the best that they can be that allows us to witness the jaw-dropping performances that we do. Which is why I sat down with my longtime coach and great friend, Ricky Bauer. He's the head coach of the men and women's U.S. Olympic snowboard halfpipe team. This will be his fourth Olympics. He also happens to be a ripping skateboarder, the 1999 snowboarding world champion, and it's Ricky who's responsible for getting me to learn a crippler, the trick I became most known for in my career. Hi everyone, I'm Olympic snowboarder Gretchen Blyler. Welcome to my podcast, The Art of Living Extraordinarily, where I dive deep into the stories of those who have had the courage to blaze their own trails. We learn the deeper motives that drive these individuals, how they face fears, the challenges and obstacles that they face, how they get through them, and the biggest lessons that they've learned along the way to living their dreams. Ricky's dad was a gifted endurance athlete and actually a two-time Olympian in the Nordic combined event. And while Ricky could have followed in his dad's footsteps, we talk about why he decided to follow his heart and pursue snowboarding instead. We also get into how during his professional career, he was able to tap into the zone, his ability to say the right thing in high pressure scenarios, and how he's been able to communicate complex ideas in a way that allow his athletes to have breakthroughs. He also talks about the secret ingredient to winning on the world's largest stage in Pyeongchang, South Korea. Needless to say, we cover a lot, so please enjoy this conversation. But first, a message from our sponsor, Alex Supply Co. Alex Supply Co, full disclosure, is a company I started with my husband a few years ago. The main reason we started Alex is because using healthy and sustainable products is definitely one of those small everyday actions that add up to an extraordinary life. It's the reason you'll always see me walking around with my bottle. But the problem is every reusable bottle out there is impossible to clean. Eventually they fill up with bacteria, they start to stink, it's gross. So with Alex, we fix that problem by creating the first stainless steel bottle that opens in the middle so you can actually clean it. I mean, it makes total sense, right? A bottle you can actually clean? It's perfect for water, but it's actually incredible for smoothies and other drinks that you can't clean out of most other bottles. And because it opens in the middle, it saved me on so many camping trips because I can open it up and it becomes two cups so I can share with a friend or even an impromptu cocktail shaker. The list goes on and on. The name stands for Always Live Extraordinarily, an inspiration and a hydration partner, all while you're going out and pursuing your dreams. We've just released a couple other awesome products too, so right now you can get 20% off with code Gretchen, G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N. Head over to alexbottle.com and use code Gretchen for 20% off. Now on with Coach Ricky Bauer. Welcome to the new podcast. Thanks for having me. The Art of Living Extraordinarily. Awesome. Defined by Ricky Bauer. That's what we're going to get into today. Sounds good to me. <laughs> um, 
First of all, I mean, I'm, I really am psyched to sit down with you because we've been through a lot together. We've been through competing on the U.S. snowboard team together, and you are the person who influenced me to start working on a Crippler <laughs> all the way back in 2001. Wow. Uh-huh. And then became the coach of the collection our rebellious snowboard team, anti-U.S. snowboard team yeah. team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and now are the head coach of the U.S. halfpipe team and U.S. halfpipe Olympic team. So um, we have a lot to get into today. Yes, we do. Um, I want to start with just kind of having you talk about your your upbringing you grew up um your dad was an olympian you grew up in park city which is a huge sort of hub mm -hmm. of the olympics and yet you became a snowboarder which is somewhat anti-olympic <laughs> um so will you kind of paint a picture for us about your upbringing sure so i got into I was very into skiing when I was a young kid and thought I wanted to be a ski racer. Um, and my dad was a, a cross-country, a Nordic combined skier, so he did the cross-country skiing and uh, ski jumping. Um, and so this was before Salt Lake was awarded the 2002 Olympics, so they didn't have the ski jumps and the facilities that we have there now. So. Um, <clears throat> I, I started off skiing and uh, was really into skateboarding as a young kid. I think I started skateboarding when I was like six years old. How did you start skateboarding? Um, I why? honestly saw skateboarding um, in Back to the Future. Nice! <laughs> <laughs> and was like, that just looks so cool. And uh, so... I got into it from that, and it was just so fun, like, rolling around with your friends, and Park City was really awesome uh, with the free bus system, so we could just, after school, like, ride the bus, and Park City's, you know, slanted down, so you can, like, do these runs through town on your skateboards, and we had, a, you know, our little rat pack of friends that would go do that, and it was just awesome, so I, you know really loved skateboarding and had so much fun doing it and just the kind of yeah the rebellious nature of it and like we're gonna destroy everything in our path you know that was appealing that was, that appealing. was another reason yeah, you did it. that was definitely a major reason for doing it and it was just you know that that whole mindset of we're just gonna use what we have around us and turn it into the most fun obstacles you can imagine was really appealing to me and it was super cool and just a different like you're at you're doing a sport but you're like using like your environment around you to like make it fun mm -hmm. and that that just opened my eyes to like <clears throat> man you can do that on the snow right and so like ski racing I had this the one year that I was in on the team like the Park City ski team I had this coach that was like super over it he was like a ski instructor and he was like show up like hung over every single day because it was only on the weekends our program and his wasn't like fun and he didn't like he didn't want to be there clearly and right. i and i 
from that experience got really like over ski racing almost immediately. And I had an older friend who um, had a snowboard and I was like, I have to, I have to try that. And uh, I tried it once in Winter Park <laughs> with my dad. We were there for Christmas with our whole family. How old were you? I was, I think I was eight for that one. Yeah, it was, I think it was eight for that first time. And it went so horribly wrong. Like no instruction, board that was way too big that we rented. <laughs> and we went up on a, on a powder day and my dad was so bummed because I just couldn't do it. And like we're wasting time on this powder day. It went huh. it went poorly. I had to hike down the mountain. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. yeah, that did go yeah. poorly then. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a I had a friend a few years later. Um, it was two years later. I was ten, who had a board, and um, I went up with him, and it was a totally different experience. It was just in the powder, like hiking and like you know building a little jump, and like I didn't know how to snowboard, but I was like trying to do like these tricks that I was wanting to do on my skateboard yeah and it was like this is just the best That's so awesome. I could take that same approach from skateboarding and <clears throat> do it on the snow and of course you know in the early days of snowboarding there was you know it wasn't allowed a lot of places there wasn't parks or anything there was maybe a half pipe and it was hand dug and real sketchy right so it was like very much like build your own stuff ride it and and use the terrain around you. Right. To Very creative. Get radical. <laughs> totally. So, so that that was just I that was my new favorite thing in the of anything. And so I'd I'd also been dabbling with cross country skiing at the time with my dad's urging to like get into something like that. And I think they're a, a little bummed that I got over it immediately and wanted to do the snowboarding thing especially because it wasn't in the olympics at the time right. there wasn't a clear path all the snowboarders at the time were definitely punks, punks and <laughs> there was that image and so that was even more awesome for me but right. not so awesome for my parents and so uh you know i think it was i think it was sad for them when they when i told them that i wanted to be a snowboarder and they were like all right well we'll support you but like let's keep going to school right <laughs> let's have another plan right plan so, b um did you so, also kind of like it that it was the opposite of what your parents wanted I I think to do? yeah I yeah. think so and I really I really just like the the creativity and yeah. the, like using the mountain in a different way like you know when you're up snowboarding with like if you go snowboarding with skiers like they're going down the hill left right and super fast yeah too. super fast yeah yeah and we're like playing around and like jumping off at every little knoll and like yeah. using the mountain in a different way and that that was just that was the thing that was super appealing to me and like I it just was a whole new world and a way to look at things uh playing on the snow totally differently and so yeah I, I that's what I wanted to do and it, and basically them saying that it was probably going to be really hard for me to be a pro snowboarder made me want to do it even more because it was yeah. just like, yeah, I'm probably more gifted as an endurance athlete, but 
this is just too fun and I'm going to do it. And so I was like, I was oh, so just, that's interesting. You really, cause you do have such an endurance talent that must come from your dad. Yeah. It was my dad had a, he was a gifted endurance athlete. He could ski very far, very fast. And so, so that's was, interesting. <clears throat> your gift is that. And yet, and snowboarding isn't really necessarily about that, but that's what you chose anyway. Yeah. I have, my parents would always tell me that I had the, the slow twitch muscles and I didn't have a fast twitch muscle in my body, <laughs> which is, you know, not funny, true. funny. It's not true, but I would be like, Oh, maybe that's true. But, um, so I, I did, I was running cross country at the, all the, during all this, like in high school. And as I was really becoming determined to make it in snowboarding, um, I, I quickly gave up like all the stuff that I was naturally gifted at just because I really wanted to do the snowboarding thing. And it was not, uh, it was just pure like bullheaded determination on my part to like get on the, uh, how did I make the US snowboard team? That's the craziest thing ever. Like we had the no half pipes in Utah. Like it was not a terrain park Mecca. It was right. It it, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Most of, like, half of the ski areas didn't even allow snowboarding. But, like, we had Brighton. We had, like, these playlands of powder and, and rock, and you could jump off of cliffs. And, like, that's what it was for me forever. Like, yeah. watching Damien Sanders, like, <laughs> back Sweet. in critical condition and all yeah. that stuff. That was, like, my motivation. And then somehow I got into competition. How? How did I get into Yeah, how did that happen? <clears throat> Honestly, the first contest I did was at Powder Mountain in northern Utah. Mm -hmm. And it was maybe like two banks of snow facing each other in like really like sketchy half pipe is what it was. And but there were some guys from uh, the Salty Peak snowboard team that were just making it look so good like doing these huge errors out of like walls something that was literally like a like a snowbank like that a plow driver would push up right. clearing, clearing your driveway right and that was like super impressive that someone could do something that looked like a skateboard trick and make it look so easy and and smooth and and i was like wow that's really cool so i did that first half pipe contest Got my butt kicked, and um, we we went back to Park West where they had a half pipe, and I didn't really spend much time in it before that. But I started like going up there with the Salty Peaks team when they would shape it and help those guys like dig it out, and got to meet a lot of those guys, and uh, and just started like putting myself in that scene, hmm. inserting myself in that yeah. scene because I thought it was awesome. And, uh, it really was like that whole era of like, you go up with like your crew and you like hand dig the half pipe at the mountain. Right. The mountain's not doing anything. Right. Like they push the snow over there, maybe. And then you like go from there. So yeah, I just started doing the local contests after that. And they had the, it was, it was all around this time that, uh, 
snowboarding was admitted into the Winter Olympics. And then, yeah, that was like 94, 95, I think. And then... That's when you knew yeah, that it was going to be inducted that's, yeah, in that's, 98. Yeah, and that's when we knew that there was going to be, you know... And, and for my parents, when they saw that, they were like, oh, so this is actually really a thing now. Right. Okay, you can do this. Yeah, <laughs> they finally gave yeah. you the approval. Yeah, and so I've, I got, uh, you know, I just kept doing like the local contests, and you know, I re- I really wanted to go to summer camp, and I got to go up to Whistler one year and go to Craig Kelly's camp, and got to meet Craig Kelly and wow. and see like him and Jason Ford and Keith Wallace like heroes of mine at the time like yeah. in in the flesh like riding like a much better half pipe yeah up there and I was like well okay this is really cool like this is so much more awesome than what we have going on in our little scene which was still awesome right. but like it was just you know Craig Kelly was such an amazing snowboarder and he'd make everything look so so sick mm-hmm. yeah I mean and just so smooth like just watching him do it a heel side turn you're like whoa that's how you you can turn like that yes all right (laughs) so that that was a huge moment that I was like yeah I'm definitely gonna put everything I have into snowboarding and and really try hard to get good at it and it was you know I loved it so much that it was easy to like just Practice, practice all the time <laughs> yeah like literally every day I mean, yeah you know I I can't imagine doing that now but yeah every waking moment I'd like try to get to the mountain and like after school or it was just what we did what do you think I mean I'm kind of hearing this but what do you think fueled that fire because I mean you even said it you had this bullheaded like I'm yeah. gonna make this happen yeah I I think it was just not willing to, it, it wasn't an option to not make it. Yeah. That was kind of... It's what you knew you could do and yeah. what you wanted more than anything. Yep. It was pure, just like, it was, it was just pure determination on my part to like not, not come up short. Like I was going to learn front side and backside spins in the half pipe. I was going to learn how to grab properly you know, like, learn how to do a proper Japan, pull the knee down to the board. That was, like, something that, for, like, a whole season, like, I had a buddy that could do it, and I was, like, I would get home, I would go home, and I'd be so pissed, like, why can I not do a Japan? Pull my (laughs) knee down, and, like, I'd mess with my boots and, like, cut them all up. That's awesome. and, And, yeah, it was, it was just, like, wanting to do the stuff that I was seeing other people do so bad that, you know, I just forced myself to get there. Yeah. That really, so. So in 1999, Mm -hmm. you became the world champion. (laughs) Yes, I did. That was such a crazy experience because I'd never won a pro contest and I'd been on the podium a few times before that, but it all came together that day. And I just remember... 
I woke up that morning late. The whole team was going up to the hill for the event, and I. And when you say team, you were on the U.S. snowboard team yes, at the time. Yes, I was. So I'd made the U.S. snowboard team in '97, I think it was, and then I got to go, you know, flailed around for the first two years. Wasn't really getting any better. It was tough. The start was tough, but. Uh, and yeah, that in 99 at the world championships, I remember just that day was super, started off horribly wrong. Like I had slept in, like slept through an alarm, like the whole team was leaving. I had like our coach like in the room, like, what the hell are you doing? Like, get your shit, get up there. Who was this, Delge? Uh, Heath. Oh, Heath. Because Delge was in uh, uh, Colorado for okay. the X Games. Okay. Yeah. So I, yeah. So you're I, scrambling. I'm scrambling, flailing around, and uh, didn't get any breakfast or anything. I think all I had to eat that day was coffee. <laughs> of course. Yes. So. By the way, that is Ricky Bauer's signature meal. Signature breakfast. Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> breakfast of a world champion. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the best, but that's how I run. Anyway, yeah, so I I got out there and... Just remember feeling like super tired and like, I'm like, man, this is just not going to go well today. And then I, it was the weirdest thing. Like I just had maybe had like a devil may care attitude. Like I didn't, I just didn't have any hesitation and just felt easy all of a sudden. And, uh, I found myself in a position where it looked like I was going to win and I kept landing like the hardest run I'd ever done like and it felt easy. It was just a weird weird position to be in. Something like, had just Yeah, I don't know what had a happened. Flip, a switch had been flipped. It had, had just everything felt easy and I was, you know, people talk about being in the zone, but right. that was definitely That was it. That was definitely like one moment in my life where I can definitely be like, "Yes, I, I was, was in. I was feeling it." <laughs> Do you think it's because of that, like waking up late, having only coffee and just kind of feeling like it's not going to happen today, so yeah. I'm just going to go do it? Yeah, I think it's, that's exactly what it was. I took all the pressure off myself and was like, oh, I really blew this day. So, so oh well. So then you're going to win. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, yeah, I don't know. It was uh, put taking like uh, myself out of a, any position of expectation. Yeah. And then just being able to go through the movements that I've had really, practiced yeah, so much really enjoyed doing and they just felt easy and it was crazy that was a crazy experience because I wasn't ever to replicate that again I had some other good results but like I never had it feel like that day where it was just easy and, and clicking and it was a cool place to be in yeah actually the only other time I was close to feeling that was the day I blew my knee out Okay, let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about that because yeah. that was a big moment. Yeah, that was where it all, that was, uh, yeah. So the Olympics were in Salt Lake City in 2002. The halfpipe event was going to be at Park City, which is where I grew up. And like, I was really excited to have the opportunity to try to make that team. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I'd won the world championships two years before and, uh, three years before, and I was really, uh, I put a level of expectation on myself of, you know, I can do this, and 
And you could. You had the documentary Pipe Dream. Yes, I did. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'll never forget. That's an awesome documentary. Everyone should go check that one out. Yeah. Pipe Dreams. That's That That was quite an experience as well. But, uh, yeah, for the, the qualifying process, we went to Mammoth. I was just telling the story while we were there because we spent a full month at the Mammoth Mountain Inn. It was brutal. Do you remember that? I remember that, Ricky. <laughs> we went out there. We lived in Mammoth. We lived in Mammoth. We went out there in like the 5th of November and were there for a full month and trying to ride the half pipe. Mm -hmm. It wasn't snowing. There wasn't any snow. The half pipe wasn't getting built. Seems to be a common theme in our lives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that never ends. Yes. So we spent that whole month there in the Mammoth Mountain Inn and it was the shining. Yep. It was rough. And uh, had for all that time we were hoping to get in the half pipe, we only got in for the first day of practice for the contest. So we had two days of practice, and then we had the contest. And the first event went horribly for me. And uh, I didn't make finals. And oh. <clears throat> It's a good thing, though, to note, because I think most people don't realize this about... Um, these outside winter sports that we're dealing with the weather mm -hmm. and most of the time like where you can practice inside in an ice rink you can't do that outside when there isn't snow or when there isn't a half pipe and so it, it is something important to note because this really does seem to be a theme like back in 2002 and it's a theme this year for the riders oh, who very much just so made the 2018 Olympic team or failed to make the Olympic team. Like, we're pretty much, these riders aren't really getting to practice. And so the, the contests that you're seeing are people just dropping in kind of cold turkey sometimes. Yeah. And it's not that we're not practicing all year round, but... It's... I counted up how many good days of practice we had going into this year, and it was... Barely in the double digits. Wow. And we spent months trying to make it happen. We spent hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to make that happen. And it's so hard. Like one good day is so huge for these guys and girls. And, you know, when it when it all comes together and it happens, like magic, <laughs> magic can happen. Magic but, can happen. But, but it shows so, like how important the mental aspect oh, yeah. of the sport is mm -hmm. because it's not always about time on snow because you don't always get that. Yeah. It is very much about what, what you're thinking about and what you can control and, and how you can make the most of what you're given. Mm -hmm. And it's a tough thing to do for all these athletes. It's really... And this year has been such a struggle. Mm -hmm. so. so go back to 2002. Oh, back to 2002. Yeah, so Mammoth went horribly for me. We stayed in Mammoth to try to ride the pipe after that. Of course, the snow turned on, and it was snowing like crazy. Either feast or famine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we didn't get a whole lot of great training. That was where I watched one Kelly Clark learn her McTwist, though. Yep. That was pretty cool. Yep. And that changed a lot for her. Yeah, Kelly and I got to sit down and talk in detail around that very moment. So for those of you who haven't yet listened to that podcast, definitely go have a listen after this. 
Awesome. Well, <clears throat> yeah, so I did the, yeah, that the camp didn't really go well in Mammoth either. And so everyone went home for Christmas and then we went to Mount Bachelor. I made the, made the finals there at qualified pretty well, like in third, I think. And then, um, the, the qualifiers were one day, the finals were the next day. So that next morning we went up and I was having runs where it was feeling super easy and I was in the zone and, uh, they closed practice down and they, I was standing at the top and they closed practice. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. This is going to be awesome. And then they had some technical malfunction with the broadcast or whatever was going on. And they, they had to postpone the start for 20 minutes. So they reopened the half pipe for one more run for anybody who was up there. And so I dropped in and went to do my run and got forward on a front on going up the front side wall i did the seven front seven anyway and popped all the way to the flat bottom and when i landed i felt a great deal of pain in my knee and was like hmm, that doesn't feel quite right but i was so like jacked up on adrenaline or something i don't know i thought you know i thought i was being a baby and i thought um everything was fine. I was just, you know, had a little bit of a flat landing and need to, you know, pull my bootstraps up and get back up there. Right. But ultimately I blew my knee out and I went up to take my run in the contest and I was like, man, it really hurts, but I don't know. And I was talking to the coaches about it. I had like five different people pull on my leg Tell me that, you know, doing my ACL test and tell me, oh, it feels like it's there. You're fine. Like, get out there, kid. And so I went and did my run. Wow. And yeah, didn't do well in that one. Because you had a blown out ACL. Yeah, yeah, because I tore my ACL. I had to pull out of the contest and that was a bummer. And it wasn't until a week later that I actually found out that I did tear my ACL and that the snowboarding was going to be over for that season. And that was really hard because <clears throat> the Olympics, you know, being in Park City, you know, really wanting to be a part of that team, that was just a, that was a harsh one mm-hmm. to like have that. Because you were, cl- you were so close. I was close. I, and it would have been a long shot for me to make the team, and I know that. And But just not even having the chance to finish out what I had started was was the hardest mm-hmm. so so ultimately that was the beginning of the end for my my riding career and um after that I started dealing with a great deal of fear and I just couldn't make myself do the stuff that was easy I was so in my own head I couldn't you know I couldn't even do stuff that was really easy for me before that and uh, ultimately, I decided that I wasn't going to put myself through that anymore and decided to retire from competing. And um, yeah, that was a crazy moment. I was at a contest here in Aspen, uh, the last USSA Nationals they ever had. And that was my last contest. And I went from there to Park City and was working as a carpenter the next week. And that was like reality punch to the face. Like, yeah. 
big time. Um, everything I had known and done was, you know, gone and like having an identity crisis. It was yeah. crazy. Like, you know, when you go from being in sport and you've invested your whole life into it, as you know, that that's a big, scary what's next step. And it is very hard to to deal with the, with that. It's just like a full change of everything you know. So I did the the carpentry thing the that summer and uh, got into working with the Park City snowboard team because I thought I would really like to be involved with the sport and still, and that would be a good capacity for me to do it. And I feel like I had some experience with coaching people just on the team as friends and they were supportive of me being like, yeah, you're pretty good at this. You should try it out. So yeah talk about that because you always were I mean to me you literally are the one who said to me in 2001 Mm. I think at Bachelor I was at Bachelor it was at Bachelor you said you should really think about doing Cripplers and you didn't just say that but you helped me you know like try it for the first time Mm. I trusted that you knew what my ability was and because Mm. of that I did Mm -hmm. you know so like you you always have had that natural ability to help people and to break tricks down. And I think the only reason I think that I have that ability is because I had to work <clears throat> so hard to get good at snowboarding hmm. that I had to like figure it out and be like, you know, I guess because I wasn't as good as most people, I had to like be smarter about how I rode and huh. figured out like what does it look like to go big in the half pipe? Like, how do you do that? Like, what right. Do you, what do when you, some people just do it, yeah, they, they don't, don't know, know how to, they don't even know how they're doing it, but yeah. they're doing it. Yeah. You had to figure out yeah. how do you actually technically do this? Yeah. And I watched a lot of snowboard videos and watched a lot of like when we would have video review with the team, like really watching like what other people were doing and, I had to. I just had to figure it out from for myself because I couldn't just. I couldn't just go do it. Like I had to like. You break had to it down. work really hard. At I did. It. I had to work really hard. I so, wasn't naturally gifted at it. That's for sure. That's really cool though, because you know, I mean, that's a um, sort of a story that shows that sometimes our challenges and the obstacles that we face end up being for a reason and helping us sort of step into who we're really meant to be. That's true. Um, Because if things had been super easy for you, who knows if you would really end up, if you would now be the head coach of the U.S. snowboard team. (laughs) Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, based on those experiences with people like yourself when I was on the team and, you know, I got into coaching and, uh, man, I can't believe I'm still doing it because <laughs> I, I, I can, cause I, I yeah, do love the sport. Cause you're good at it. You're I, really good at it. I well, mean, you literally have helped so many people achieve their dreams, stand on podiums. You, this is going to be your fourth Olympics that you'll be yeah. the coach. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Talk about the difference between being the athlete and being the coach. Yeah, that's a big one because when you're the athlete, you're so focused on yourself and what you're doing and, you know, doing everything you can to do your best performance on the right day. And when you're a coach, you don't ever get to think about yourself (laughs) and you forget to eat meals and stuff because you're like so committed to, you know, what does this person or that person need to do to to get to where they want to be. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's different. It's, uh, you have to be okay with lots of different types of people and, and be able to communicate with them, which is something that I've had to work on a lot over the years because it doesn't come naturally for me as well so like well that's an art form yeah i mean you are in intense situations with people yes we are and uh communication and i mean that's so much a big part of being a coach too right like you can break down a trick for someone Mm -hmm. but they it won't click Mm-hmm. but then you say the same thing a little different and they're like, oh, like yeah. you and I have been through that yeah. before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you told me a million times, like, do this, do this, do this, do this, like beating it into my head. And then one day you say maybe the exact same thing and I'm like, bow, why didn't you tell me that before? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that happens all the time. It does. And I, so I, I always try to say things differently when you can tell the person that you're talking to doesn't understand what you're saying. Yeah. Or it's like the important part of the message isn't getting through. So like coaches, we all have this, the things that we say all the time, you know, that, that you can go to the top of the half pipe and I guarantee you'll hear people saying the same stuff, but let your line go down the pipe. Right. What does that mean? Right. (laughs) What do you mean? Let my line go down the pipe. Like where? Like when I land, don't let my line go down the pipe. No, that's wrong. Right, it's so intricate. Yeah. So, like, trying to break down, like, what what you want to see and say it in a totally different way, like, ten different times, you know. it's That's the fun part for me is, like, when you can help someone who's not understanding something or not making something happen, have an aha moment and everything changes, like, that's, that's really rewarding. That's why I ultimately still do this now from your experience as being both an athlete Mm -hmm. and the coach of the u.s snowboard team and seeing people become olympians and olympic gold medalists and silver medalists and bronze medalists um this is a hard question but I'm, i'm curious to see what you would say like what does it take to tap into that flow state that being in the zone and to perform on the world's largest stage and win yeah that's a good question because it's different for everybody but one thing that that seems to be consistently what what put people in that that zone is you know not getting too in their own head and being able to just let go of all the stuff going on around them and get back to the pure state of snowboarding. And yes, there's a lot of pressure. Yes, there's all this other stuff going on around you, but like 
keeping it to just the simple task of writing and you know being able to find that that joy in a not very joyful situation <laughs> right every day and like the people that do well at the olympics are for the most part having fun there and enjoying the pipe and riding it well and regardless right yeah regardless like they're having fun regardless because really for the past two olympics it's been shit yeah exactly yeah it's been really rough so these are people who have been able to find the joy mm-hmm. in snowboarding regardless of the conditions yes exactly like i think of scotty lego in 2010 he was not expected to do anything but anybody who knows scotty knows that he's probably one of the happiest uh most joyful funniest people out there and he took a very challenging situation which was the vancouver halfpipe which was terrible mm-hmm. every practice day almost unrideable and ev- when you say every practice day you mean like the two days the we two, got to the practice two days, yes the two days that we practiced in and around for like the an rain, hour the rainstorms and the whatever other stuff was happening that yeah, was a tough situation it was easy to get bummed out stressed out over it and you know it was amazing to watch scotty like just not get it sucked into that he had a super long day he ended the day of the contest and he didn't even practice for the finals he just went out there and he was like no i'm gonna just do this right now i'm gonna have fun doing it and he did and he landed and he got on the podium and that was like for me, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen because he wasn't expected to do great things there. He'd been riding really well, but yeah. but you know everyone thought the podium was gonna look differently, and but they forgot about Scotty Lego and how good yeah. he was. Yeah, and how cool that he just stuck to this like mm-hmm. I'm doing this on my terms. Yeah, that yeah. Because it's easy to like say that and to know what that would look like but then have things totally change when you're like uh but this is the olympics and i actually really do want to do well so yeah it's easy to like sway yes it is and it's very easy to feel that expectation and put pressure on yourself at the olympics that that you don't need to put on yourself but it it's i mean it's the olympics yeah. It as much as people like to say it's just another snowboard contest, it's not. It's not. It's a whole new level of stress and pressure and I because mean all it of you matters. guys. It matters so much. Like this is the contest that everyone in the world tunes into. Mm-hmm. It's you know, for me it's that you know, that event that you watch and it changes your life and it, and so I think when, when we come up against these pressure cooker situations, that's when like everything we have been working on where we feel like, oh, I'm figuring out how to tap into the zone and I'm figuring out how to get rid of my expectations and just release and surrender. It's like if any contest is going to, you know, come up in your face and say, really? Can you do this really? Mm-hmm. It's the Olympics. It sure is. One of my scariest moments as a coach was with you in 2006. Right before the oh, right before the contest. Do, uh, do you yeah. remember that moment? I, I'm remembering what you're talking about. Break uh, it you down. You had been 
ripping all week and riding super well. <laughs> and the morning of the Olympics rolls around and you were like inconsolable. Freaking, freaking out. out. I've never seen you freak out. <laughs> I've seen you stressed out and nervous, but you had this a is a whole other level. You know, I I was really worried about you. I yeah. was legitimately like well, breakfast. I, I remember sitting with you at breakfast and I couldn't eat. Yeah. And I remember you looking at me like, oh god, this yeah. girl, this girl's cracking. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was really scary because you very easily could have won that event and you got second there. Like you were like on path to like totally crush it like you did but when you started doing that that morning I was like oh man what's gonna what happen gonna to this happen? girl how can you know what can we do to help this young lady who's got every shot to to win and it was I was super nervous about you know anything that I would say to you because I didn't <laughs> want to make it worse but you needed somebody to talk to right and damn that was that was a tough one. I don't remember what we talked about, but I remember once you got up there and you got in the half pipe. Things got better. Things got better. Ah, it was the anticipation yeah. that was literally killing me. Yeah. It was like I thought I was going to explode. Yeah. Like that's how it felt. Yeah. And you did almost on your first round on the crippler. Remember? Oh yeah. You squatted it out. Yeah, I did squat <laughs> yeah, it yeah. out. I did. I landed yeah. super low. Yeah. And was like basically butt touching the ground, but then my Muscled strength <laughs> training came in. I was able yeah. to pick my keep going. Yeah. yeah. Squat it out. Yeah. And then we. But had... then what did we do? I think what we did uh, with with Hannah. Yeah. I think that's the pr a yeah. perfect example of how yeah. you get back to snowboarding. Yeah. That was super sketchy. Super sketchy. We. <laughs> Almost made you guys miss the practice for the finals of the Olympics. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, we we went up the lift. We went up the we lift. We took a run, and then they had closed the way down. We were gonna have to download. And yeah, because we wasn't everyone just walking to the bottom of the pipe and then yeah, and Go, then yeah. going straight to the half yeah, pipe. Yeah, they had the said, they had the short lift too with the the mini. The, the, that's the, right. The pipe get off point. So it was. And like, we said no. We want to actually go snowboarding. Yeah before we compete at the finals of the Olympics. Yep. And so we take the lift up. <laughs> yep. And did little did we know <laughs> that it was like not possible to actually take a run. Yeah. But we we did. We ducked ropes. There were yeah. men with machine guns. Yelling at us in Italian. Yelling at us in <laughs> Italian. Yeah. And, and hadn't it just snowed? Like there was powder. Yeah, there was a little we, bit of powder. So yeah, we... we just said no we're going and we ducked the rope in a super sketchy manner and rode down the side of the race hill where they were going to have the pgs oh, yeah. right happened to be pretty good powder really there. good powder all i was thinking was please don't let those girls hit a rock <laughs> like, <laughs> right because we had like yeah. perfectly manicured yeah. Yeah, boards, boards and were, bases your boards like were, made years in advance and waxed for a yeah. full year straight yeah it was, it and here we bad. were like free riding. In <laughs> yeah. an area we were definitely not supposed not to be supposed in. Not supposed to be in. But it worked because we got to the pipe and we're all like, wow, that was crazy. But that was actually really good. That, that was super fun on the way That was out. stupid. That was really fun. <laughs> we almost missed finals. Yeah. <laughs> perhaps got shot by a man with a sh machine gun. Yeah. 
but but now like that was such the, that was the perfect that's start what you guys needed to the olympics because we needed to get out of our own heads we needed to understand why we were snowboarding and why we were even there in the first place and that that was the perfect experience yeah. to remind us that was awesome. And then Hannah and I went on to win gold and silver. Yes. So it worked. Yes, it worked. <laughs> you guys crushed it. Yeah, it was. That was a, that was such a nice day too. That the sun was out, the pipe was riding really well, and that was you know the that, snow was that perfect. It wasn't yeah. icy. It wasn't soft, but it was that perfect grippy snow. Yeah, it was nice. It's been a while since we've had one like that. Well, it's been since 2006. <laughs> yeah, it has. I think this one's our, our return to that, thankfully. So yeah, you think so? so I do. You they, went to Pyeongchang last we, year. We went last year, and they had a really nice uh, pipe for us. They, had a, they have this, this new Zog that makes it easier to make the flat bottom rounder, and they had a, it was a really good half pipe. It was a little short. In length, but uh, how many hits will it be? I think they made it uh, 50 feet longer, so it should be a solid five. Last year it was like four or five. Okay, so it'll be a solid five this year. I think so. What is going to be going through your head as you're standing at the top of <laughs> the Olympic half fight this year in <laughs> Pyeongchang, South Korea? I just want to try to keep people out of their heads. Yeah. And that, I mean, the way you said it is so true because if any contest is going to rattle you, it'll definitely be the Olympics. And uh, there's no way to prepare anybody for that. And some people can deal and a lot of people can't. But it, like, like you said, it, it seems like the people who can rise up and do uh, – otherworldly performance or their best ever in that situation are the ones that are able to tune it all out and keep it tune it all out or is it it's really it it's like a tuning it all into the moment and connecting to like why you're really doing it i think that's more more it definitely because you it, have to tune things out yeah that's for sure like there's so many distractions there's so many pressures so many expectations so that's what you're tuning out yes but at the same time you're using the magnitude of the event to help elevate your performance yeah and that's what i think you and Hannah were able to do and what Kelly was able to do in 2002, what Sean has done in 2010 and in six. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, I, I don't know how you guys do it, but it's in such an intense pressure situation and, and you, you do need to use it to your advantage yeah, and not let it crush you. Crush you. <laughs> yeah. Which, which can happen which too. Which can happen too. <laughs> All right, Bao. Um, I've been asking everyone this question. Because what you do is not easy, being the coach. You know, you're mm -hmm. the one who people yell at. You're the one who people love. You're, I mean, you're this solid figure that's always there. Um, but you are going through the highs and the lows of this journey. Um, and you've done it as an athlete and you're doing it as a coach. Mm -hmm. What wisdom, what advice have you learned through this whole experience that 
you would now turn around and give to younger Ricky Bauer? Oh, wow. Um, I think I would encourage myself to get some thicker skin and not take what people say to heart when they're in stressful situations. And I would say, you definitely don't know what you think you know. And you need to be open to listening to people more than telling. Mm. That's a big one. More listening. Yeah. Less talking. Yes. That's a big one. Because, you know, as a coach, people come up and ask you, what should I do? And so you just get used to, like, blurting out, like, phrases and stuff. But, like, a lot of the times it's like, you need to ask some questions before you say anything. And you need to know what what's going on with that person. Because a lot of the times it has nothing to do with what they're doing technically. It's they're in a bad place and how can we help you get out of there? So I think the wait a minute and listen before you just start talking was is something that I would definitely tell myself. That was The Art of Living Extraordinarily, defined by Ricky Bauer. I hope that this talk has given you a bigger appreciation for all of those coaches who are fist bumping their athletes just before they drop into their Olympic runs, and that you have a taste for the dedication and the heart that it takes to be a coach, and especially an Olympic one. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe. Be sure to rate us on iTunes, and I would love to read your comments too. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.